Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. Episode 53. We are continuing our series on joy. Today, we're looking at the joy elevator and the pain processing pathway. Hello, my father. Hello, daughter. We just had a Father's Day celebration over the weekend. We did. We did. It was so fun. And yes, what did Ben say? Yeah, he said, I wish every day was Father's Day, but I think he was referring to the food. (laughs) Yeah, it's like. We had some very good food. Yeah, yeah, we did. We ate well. (laughs) Yes, and mom made sure of it. She's great. So, hey, I actually, I have a little bit of an icebreaker today. Um, I've been thinking you've always had your hands in many fields. Uh, like growing up, you played several sports and you did some drama and you were really into your studies and history. And we've talked before, you loved Lord of the Rings and you made different things. And have you ever, um, found jargon from one area crossing over into the other? Jargon from one into the other. Well, you know, I mean, we use sports metaphors all the time, right? And uh, things, but I, I not nothing's jumping into my mind right now because I cross those barriers constantly. But we were just talking about, you know, the four hobbits of joy-filled people. <laughs> you know, that's my, Mary Pippin, Frodo, and Bilbo. But yeah, what? No. <laughs> how dare you skip Sam? Why? Oh well, yes. <laughs> Oh, I was just thinking about it because so apparently I say huzzah a lot. Ah. Um, and sometimes people don't know what I'm saying or yeah, where what did it that means. come from? I didn't even sure. I'm sure. So I have realized that this is something that comes from the epic fantasy reader writer side of myself because we say it all the time in that community. It's just a you know ah oh, huzzah, and so it's h u z z a h. I've had people in person and you know in messages you know say oh that's what that is or is that what you're saying because I'll use it with them in person and. Anyway, we get a good laugh, but I I was just like, you know what? I think I say this a lot on the podcast and yeah. I should address it. It's like, you know, hip hip hooray or it'll like oh, I looked it up on on Merriam-Webster dictionary. It defines it as an expression or shout of acclaim, often used interjectionally to express joy or approbation. So, Well, there you go. Hey, and we're talking about joy. Sort so, like huzzah. Cheers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, cheers. So that's what I'm saying. And apparently it's a, a crossover term that I've You've adopted up. from your uh, fantasy, epic fantasy friends. Yeah. 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 That's what we do. So, <laughs> all right. And on that note, let's, let's get back to- Let's get to, epic. Yeah, okay, let's go get ahead. epic. Hey. All right. Yeah. So last episode, I alluded to the five levels of the pain processing pathway and how to meet someone's pain at each level. And I've also had a request for us to spend a little bit more time on the issue of attachment pain, and I think that's a good idea. So the pain processing pathway has five levels, which contain the four levels of the joy elevator, right? So remind us, what is the joy elevator? So the joy elevator basically is the right side of your brain, right? So real simply, it's my right hemisphere of my brain. The idea is that the that right hemisphere operates at four levels of function. So if anything goes wrong at level one, it will affect level two, three, and four, and level five on the other side. 
if something goes wrong at level two, it'll affect three and four. So the lower, you know, the so defining it by levels is partly the uh, uh, the point of the joy elevator. It's also the idea that I it goes sequentially. It will always start at level one, then always go to level two, then always go to level three, and always go to level. You don't skip around levels. It always goes in sequence. And so our goal as people to be ourselves, to be really our relational selves, to be our you know, act like ourselves, not turn on somebody else, is that we want to be living from the fourth floor of that joy elevator. That fourth floor we call the action center. That's the identity center, the joy center, the action center. It's, you know, the captain, whatever it is, a whole lot of terms that we've used for it. But it's the part of our brain that we want to be in charge because that's the part of our brain that remembers who we are how it's like us to act, what our core values are, what our character is like, and it just shows up automatically. So problems happen if my joy elevator gets stuck at the first floor and I'm operating in huge attachment pain, then I may not be able to get up, operate from that top floor. And so part of of what maturity is about is developing the capacity to experience some disturbance at these lower levels without it getting me offline at the higher level where I, uh, I act like myself. So in a nutshell, so the joy elevator are the four, it's the four levels of brain function on the right hemisphere of the brain. Also, your brain always goes not only from bottom up, so first, second, third, fourth floor, it will also always go from right to left. So it has to go through the joy elevator first before it ever gets to what we call the narrative engine. It gets to that part of my brain on the left hemisphere that starts doing problem solving and making decisions and analyzing and putting things into words and all that other stuff. And that's why we we regularly talk about things happening faster than conscious thought. And the reason they're happening faster than conscious thought is they're happening on this right hemisphere of the brain. It's this joy elevator process that's taking place. And if something breaks down there, I can be offline and have everything messed up before I ever get to what something means to me, right? Before I ever get to this idea, oh, okay, this is uh, what I have learned to think about this, right? Uh, in other words, I can be offline before I ever even get to that part of my brain function. So this was really a revelation to me. Because I'd grown up uh, being taught that all emotions are rooted in what I believed. And so belief was the starting point for everything that I was doing in terms of resolving emotions, only to find out there's a whole other half of the brain over here that is dealing with stuff before I ever get to my beliefs. And so bringing these things together creates the pain processing pathway. So the pain processing pathway, in a nutshell, is I have to deal with all four floors of the joy elevator and I have to deal with the narrative engine on the left side of my brain. Um, this is why simply telling somebody, change the way you think, you know, don't believe that, you know, doesn't always help because it's only addressing this fifth level, if you will. So addressing the left brain side of it and bypassing everything going on on the right side of the brain. Yeah. So could you could you talk a little bit more about where it was Carl Lehman who who coined the term pain processing pathway, correct? I believe so. That's It was his book where I read the term. Okay, okay. So uh, the pain processing pathway, basically, uh, the idea is that if we start in the left side of the brain with beliefs, then I should just be able to correct your thinking on something, and that should resolve the problem. So if, if I say to you, oh, well, look at it this way, look at it from this perspective, and that works, that means I had a level five problem. My problem was at the interpretive 
part of things. And just looking at it from a different perspective actually took care of things and I'm okay now. So that lets me know that's where my problem was. But if I give you a new perspective and I talk about it, I say, well, the Bible says this, and this is what God wants you to think about it, and that doesn't resolve it, then that means we got to move now and start going backwards down the joy elevator. So I go to the action center of the brain, uh, the, that's my identity center. And at this point, what I am needing is I'm needing somebody to sort of show me what this looks like so my mirror neurons can watch you do it and go, okay, I think I see it now. I can imitate you. I can do what I'm seeing you do and learn at that level. If that doesn't fix things, right, then we go to the next level, and that's now the the, the level f- floor number three of the joy elevator. And that's where I, um, my goal is to stay attuned to the world around me. And so this is where I say, let's do this together. All right, tune into me, stay focused on me, let's do this together. And, you know, that can sometimes take care of that. If I've spoken to you, that didn't fix it. If I'm showing you, that doesn't fix it. If I'm saying, let's do this together, it doesn't fix it. Now I'm going down to, I probably got an amygdala fight or flight issue going on, in which case I need to soothe that before we can do anything else. So maybe we'll take some deep breaths together. Maybe we'll you know, go through some of the soothing exercises together, but we're trying to calm down that amygdala. And then if I get all the way down to level one, it means I've got an attachment pain problem. And at the attachment pain problem, my goal is, uh, I say, is to sit with you, to be present with you so that you know that you are not alone in this, no matter how dark and, and, and deep it gets. And so uh, I can think of these all with S words. You know, mm-hmm. obviously it's shocking to everybody. There are S words <laughs> to all of this. So the, uh, yeah, you don't have an acrostic for all of it. You yeah. Just, you, you know, you're going more pastoral where you have, you know, the same letter for every point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So this will this will preach, right? So, mm-hmm. the, uh, um, so if I have a narrative issue, then I speak. I speak to you and I give you a new new narrative. If it's a uh, if it's a, a a level four of the of the four the fourth floor of the joy elevator, then I show you. So that's the word I show you at that point what to do. If it's at the level three floor number three of the joy elevator, now I'm going to share it with you. We're going to do it together. If it's at the uh, amygdala level two, you know, second floor assessment level, then I'm going to soothe, help you soothe from where you're at. And then at level one, I stay present with you. I'm going to sit. I'm going to stay present with you um, because this is an attachment issue. So I can give you a couple of examples of this because this is pretty heady, you know, hard to picture stuff. So Chris Corsi explained it to me this way. He said he and Jen were uh, walking up a lighthouse stairs. Um, they live in Michigan. Uh, we, we are often up in Michigan can picture this. He's walking up this, uh, lighthouse stairs together and part way up. It's sort of like Jen remembers she has a fear of heights <laughs> and she began to shut down. And so his first thing was what to talk to her. Oh, it's going to be okay. We're going to get this. You're going to be didn't help. Right. So I told him, all right, this is not a level five issue. Then he's like, well, what, you know, let's just take a step. Just take a step. You know, it's just like this. Let me show you how I did it. And that didn't help. And then it was, okay, let's do this together. Let me hold your hand, put my arm in. That still didn't help, right? So he's just going down the the list. He's, okay, let's just take a minute to breathe together and to be together. Finally, they just sat there next to each other. and, And then they began doing it in the opposite order. He sat there for a while and then they went to soothing for a bit. And then we got to the point. And by the time they got back up to level five, she was the one saying, well, this is, this is the perspective I need. This is what's going on. They were able to make it all the way to the top. So 
But when we talk about pain processing, is that if this pathway, I get stuck at some point, then my pain remains unprocessed. And to the extent that my pain remains unprocessed, I'll, I'll stay. I'll be stuck, and I won't be able to to function um, the way that I want to function. And so it's helpful to think in terms of this because you can kind of tell where somebody is stuck and the way in which they are stuck, which intervention is needed. And so I found this an incredibly helpful um, thing. I think I said I'd tell two stories, but if you want, if you have the second in mind, um, yeah. So I. I um, was speaking one time and a story that I told triggered somebody. I, I try not to tell stories that are too triggering, but sometimes you can't help it because you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, um, well, this guy was hyperventilating and uh, couldn't function. He couldn't talk. Uh, and so I got there, wasn't going to do any good for us to have a conversation. He couldn't, couldn't do that. So uh, first I just sat there and then I asked, I said, is it okay if I touch your arm? Right, because he, you know, you get get permission just to be together, and then I said, "Is it? Can I help you?" We had to quickly get to the point of, "Can I help? Let's let's practice breathing together," and helped him get his breathing under control. And then I tried to go back up and found, you know, he still can't talk. Okay, so let's go do some more breathing. I got my hand on your shoulder, so you know I'm here. I'm here with you. It's okay. You're not alone. And then uh, finally. He got the bright idea to text. He couldn't talk, but he started texting me what was going on in his head. Uh, found out what triggered him. Um, I was able to uh, actually do a spiritual warfare prayer with him, and to which he just agreed yes, you know, because mm-hmm. he still he's like yes, I agree with what you just did. And then he took another deep breath, and then after that, he could talk. And so now we we walked through this whole process together. By the time we were done, he had processed this pain. It had gone all the way through the pain processing pathway. And what that meant was he was functional again. He could, you know, take off. He could, you know, do whatever he needed to do. Didn't mean he was totally better, but he was functional again because he was now back within his window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of how understanding those five levels of uh, function of the pain processing pathway can help you know what kind of intervention is needed. Yeah, it's so helpful. And so you went through the S's. There are also some A's. And I thought we could take, you know, we we could start slowing down maybe a little bit on on each level and look at um, what is the the task of each level because the S's that you shared are like the solution to the, the problem, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's also helpful to understand like at at each level, this is the task that is involved. So, for instance, level one is attachment to stay securely connected as a situation unfolds. Um, so yeah, could you talk to us more about level one? Yeah, so level one is the attachment level. It is uh, anchored in the nucleus accumbens and the thalamus, right? Because that'll clear everything up for everybody. Uh, the uh, <laughs> the attachment basically, um, this is part of our brain that craves things, and so what happens is that I have at this very deep level a craving for something. It could be everything from a craving for chocolate to a craving for an experience or an addiction, to a craving for a person or connection. And it can be from mild to intense. So for example, I'll give you you know, one <laughs> you'll appreciate. You you bought us these uh, really nice fountain pens for Christmas, right? I have now lost three fountain pens, right? In the last six months. And, and the other day, I, every now and then I'll find myself like... L- 
missing my fountain pen. I'm looking everywhere. Where's my fountain pen? I want this. It's that, that is a low level craving, if you will. It's like no other pen will do. I want that fountain pen. So that that's an example of something that is happening at level one attachment. It's not a rational thing happening because I'm thinking about this, having conscious thoughts about it. It's just, there is a, a craving says, I want my fountain pen. Nothing else will do. <laughs> We all have these experiences, right? It's like I, tacos are the only thing that's going to work right now. It can't be a burrito. It can't be you know, whatever. It's like, and I have these very specific cravings and I can have generalized cravings too. So what happens is my attachment level wants to bond with another person in joy. I want to be with somebody who's happy to be with me. So it's at this level that addictions form, because at this level, if I can't have access to someone who's happy to be with me, if I can't form the kind of joy bond I'm actually looking for, I will find a non-relational substitute. And that's when I can find myself craving cocaine, craving heroin, craving alcohol, craving carbohydrates, craving, you know, whatever the non-relational substitute is. Craving sexual stimulation, right? No, pardon? (laughs) I said, to be clear, not you yourself. Well, no, I mean, I've probably craved all those at some point, although I've never had cocaine. I was going to say, you've never never had had that. Yeah, I've never had drugs. I can't. uh, But I I know people who have. This is also the level at which we experience attachment pain, which Mm -hmm. was the the source of your question, which is uh, because I have this craving in a sense, where my the light bulb's coming on from a prior conversation, and meaning I uh, the, the light bulb coming on means a craving is arising. I want to be with you. I want to be with somebody, and what I'm looking for isn't available to me. That will create attachment pain. So I can literally have attachment pain for that fountain pen, mm. right? It's like ugh, it's not here. So that's a very low level attachment pain. I can have attachment pain to. You know, I, I I wish I could be at uh, our our home in Michigan right now. I wish I didn't have to be here, or and that's a form of attachment pain. Um, you can have attachment pain for the past, nostalgia. I wish I could be back in those good old days when I did this. Um, you can have attachment pain for all kinds of things at all kinds of levels. And so the the issue here is that there is no natural pathway back to joy from attachment pain in the same way that we have joy pathways or neural pathways that we can form back to joy from sadness and shame and disgust and despair and anger and fear. So with that in mind, attachment pain kind of falls into its own separate category. It can also be combined with all of those other emotions. So when you think about grief, for example, I am usually combining attachment pain with sadness because I've lost something I want with despair, like I'm not going to get this ever again, you know, with anger, this isn't fair, right? With uh, fear, what's going to happen to me now, right? And so what happens is you go through something like grief and literally all of the emotions are being triggered simultaneously, which is why you they sometimes talk about it as stages. You deal with this and then this and this. And, and there may that may be true, but I also know that at some level what's happening is that all of my emotional system is getting triggered. And so at different times, I'm going to be dealing with different levels of those emotions. So attachment pain is kind of like that, that, that craving pain that I have that says something that I desperately want is not available to me. Um, so it becomes the source of a lot of love songs, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I'm in so much despair because I can't have you right now. You know, I'm... All I want is you kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when someone is stuck at level one in 
Um, and, and you and, mean and, attachment, and a, right? Yeah, and, and level one attachment. If someone is stuck there in a more mild case um, from the fountain pen to, you know, a, a relationship with a person, but it's it's not – it doesn't feel impossible. It's just a mild case. Um, do you have suggestions for how to recover? Um, part of it is do you uh, – this is where you talk about things like being present you know, um, mindfulness, if you will, it is being aware of my condition, recognizing it, and then saying, I've got a problem to solve here. And maybe I can find a healthier solution to this problem than an unhealthier solution to the problem. So if it's a mild one, I can usually think my way through to a better choice. So like if I'm feeling attachment pain and I'm, and I'm suddenly realize I'm rummaging the refrigerator and I don't even know what I want, I can I can catch myself and go, hey Marcus, you're just feeling attachment pain right now. You don't really want ice cream, <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing. So there's a, uh, um, at milder levels I can do that. At more extreme levels, I need help doing that. Mm-hmm. I need somebody to be present with me. Um, yeah. Or it's even being able to recognize, like for instance, I think how often when I have been separated from you and mom and Ben, um, you know, I'm, I'm not usually very good at actually being on my phone, but when I am separated from you guys and you are my core, you are, you are my people, um, you know, I will call one of you on the phone and reestablish a point of connection because I'm having attachment pain because we are not together. Um, and that's a way of like, okay, yes, here I'm, I'm able to be with my people even when (laughs) we're not actually able to be together. Um, yeah, well, and because it's the deepest level of brain function, it is also the deepest level of pain we can feel. And, you know, that that just means sometimes we just have to feel it. Mm-hmm. And try in the midst of feeling it to get back to the relational part of my brain and act like myself anyway. Well, and, and maybe what I'm about to say could come into the next part of my question, but... um I, this is also, we're listening prayer and seeking God, and there's some really good psalms um, that, you know, just, oh, my soul, um, and you know, seek the Lord. And yeah. so, so, so talk to us about, you know, what happens if you're having just desperate attachment pain and the person you are attached to has died or you're estranged or for whatever reason, you just, you have, you have no access and it feels impossible. You can't solve it. What do you do? Well, so I use like this example. I remember when I was in seminary, um, I had about a five month uh, gap between uh, the city where I grew up and I had tons of friends and I knew everybody and I moved and I relocated and I was now in a different state, in a different city. I was living with my parents, and I really only had one relational connection at that point. It was a girl who asked me out, <laughs> and I said yes, and quickly fell in love because she became my whole world, because she was all all of my attachment was connected to her. Well, my dad was in a car accident. You know, Grandpa Warner, he was in a car accident, almost died when a drunk driver hit him going like 90 miles an hour through a stoplight. He was unconscious for three months. We didn't know if he was going to live. Um, and then just as he's getting out of the hospital, she breaks up with me. And at the time, I had never felt that kind of attachment pain. I did not. I had no category for that. And, uh, you know, I'd convinced myself that was the future. I'd found the one, all this. And so I was, 
Uh, I went into depression because only she could fix what I was right in my, my way of thinking. The only solution to this is for her, you know, to uh, want to be with me again. And so, as I was in that, I started seminary, right in this place of having just gone through the crisis with my dad, being in a deep place of attachment pain, and I couldn't focus right? Because I'm having level one issues in my brain. It's making everything else above that struggle to stay online. That didn't actually resolve until I met somebody else, (laughs) right? So when I met somebody else and all of a sudden there was this hope of, oh, maybe there's a different solution to what I'm feeling right now. Uh, I couldn't think my way there, but once I experienced it, I mean, it it was even actually just a fleeting relationship, but it was just experiencing the fact that, oh, there is hope in this world, took away that attachment pain for me, helped me get back to being myself, you know, and uh, gave me some some lessons. But in the middle of it, honestly, I had no tools for what I was going through. And it was a pretty dark time. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. That's a, a very good example, I think. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Well, and honestly, um, Brenda, my, you know, your mom, mm-hmm. Brenda, has uh, issue uh, similar stories, right, yeah. of having break painful breakups in her past that made her go into a very dark place. Mm-hmm. And it's because you're dealing with attachment pain that then triggers despair that joy is now hopeless, mm-hmm. right? It now triggers this belief. You know, so there's a despair and then there's a belief that goes with the despair. And then there's this all these toxic thoughts that accumulate around it. And uh, so it takes on a life of its own at that point. Yeah. So so what are some steps to get out of it? So some things you can do yourself and some things you need help, right? So one of the things that helped me was I talked to a guy at seminary who'd gone through almost exactly the same thing, only worse, right? He had been engaged right? And almost on the verge of his wedding day, right? His fiance called it off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, in talking to him and talking to somebody who could be empathetic, and then realizing that he was currently married and had kids and was living a, a good life. So even though that first thing, it was helpful to have people tell me their stories and say, okay, maybe there is some hope here and have somebody who could understand the, uh, the the depth of what was going on, so I didn't feel alone in it. Like, okay, there's somebody who gets it. And so all of those things had to happen. I needed people who could still be happy to be with me. I needed people who could kind of enter into what was going on, and and I could say, okay, other people have lived through this. And, uh, and there was somebody who could share it. And it, at some point, too, I realized, too, that God actually gave me a way out of this early on. And that I was sitting, I was, I remember I was sitting in a restaurant and this thought came into my head. And this is where you real, rec, learn to recognize what are God thoughts, what are, what are devil thoughts. Yeah, so, <laughs> but this thought was give her about this girl. It was give her to me. And if you're supposed to have her, I'll give her back. Mm-hmm. And I remember basically saying no. <laughs> That's one of those those right. um, stop, listen, obey, watch That's things, one of those, and you choose yes. not to obey, that and you still get to watch what stop, happens. Stop, listen, obey moment where I stopped, I listened, I knew what God wanted me to do, and I said no. And literally, my depression kind of began there. And so there was a rebelliousness, right, at the heart of some of this depression, in my case, too, because I was 
intentionally saying, I know what I need to be happy and until you need to give me what I want. And that's really not uncommon either. There's a lot of us who are convinced we know what we need in order to be happy. And so we are not going to be okay with God until he gives it to us. And that is a form of rebellion and it always gives ground to the enemy. And so I think that a big part of my depression too has some spiritual warfare to it that was anchored in that as well. That is really helpful and really deep. And wow, we are we're we're running out of time for this. You don't episode. want to keep counseling me because uh, this no, is really therapeutic. I would love but... to just keep talking. <laughs> um, and I'm I I had budgeted two episodes for this topic, but I think we're going to need more. So <laughs> we'll we'll see how that goes. But I I do think unfortunately we're going to need to wrap up for this episode, and we'll keep talking. Um, I just want to point people if you want more about these levels. Um, the journey groups curriculum, both levels one and two, uh, both have really good whole like lessons and units uh, that that covers this. And I'll leave it at that for there, and I'll I'll give you some more recommendations next week. But um, yeah, so we're at the, t- the end of our episode. We'll we'll continue discussing this topic next episode. Any closing thoughts for now? Well, I just remind people too. I learned all of this stuff from Jim Wilder. So I mean, he and I don't want to just talk about that constantly, but he's, you know, I just want to make sure he credit is due. It's like, if you want to go deeper into this, you're probably going to find it in his materials or Mm -hmm. in Carl Lehman's materials. Um, uh, because I kind of learned this stuff and then try to get, introduce people to it. Um, but if you want to go deeper with it, then I would go to, uh, to those two, um, ministries, Life Model Works and Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. Very good. All right. Well, thank you, Father. And Hey, thank you all for joining us on the trail today. Deeper Walk exists to make heart-focused discipleship the norm for Christians everywhere. If you'd like to support this cause, you can become a Deeper Walk trailblazer with your monthly donation of 25 or more. And if you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the On the Trail podcast, leave a review, and share with your friends. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.